I wonder if you agree with this statement. The only way to win a fight is to avoid one. That's what Dale Carnegie said in his book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Now maybe you're like me and you think, but Dale, what if I'm right and they're wrong? What if they won't listen to me? What if they just don't see things the way that I see them? In those instances, is there really anything more important than me getting my way? After all, I'm right. Well, not so fast. Let's look and see what scripture has to say about that. That's what we're talking about today. Let's get into it. Welcome to Faith in Real Life, where we talk about truths of the Bible that are relevant to your life and faith. My name is Obi, and I'm a pastor here at First Baptist O'Fallon, and uh, glad you're joining us today. And so, recently we've been talking about um, different ways to interact with people, and last week we talked about the social media rant, and really why it's not a biblical thing to do social media rants. And uh, in fact, we covered 1 Corinthians 6, and um, if, if we're having problems with people, then it's a good thing to go up to them one-on-one, uh, kind of like a Matthew 18 uh, prescription there, that we go deal with things one-on-one and not behind people's back, not in a passive-aggressive way. Um, because when we do that, if we just kind of air out the church's dirty laundry before the world, then really we're guilty of a, a 1 Corinthians 6 violation. Um, and so we may have gone in, into the dispute as innocent people. We may have gone in and been in the right. But the moment we go online and we do this social media rant, um, whether we name someone specifically or whether it's just a passive-aggressive rant, if we're airing out the church's dirty laundry, uh, then, then we're, we're kind of guilty there. We become at least co-conspirators as guilty party. Um, so we're kind of talking similar to that today, only not about the social media rant, but really just getting our way in church. And we may not ever ever think of it like, oh, I just want to get my way until a specific circumstances arise, circumstance arises that I do have an opinion. I want to see it this way. I think it should be done that way. Maybe I'm even an expert in this area, and I think, yes, this is how it should be done, and no one will listen to me, and I'm not getting my way. And so, you know, the church is not without its own frustrations, right? We're filled with people. Uh, I like to say this, uh, as far as a, a group of people, Christians, we're the type of club that just to even get in the front door, you have to admit you're a sinner. And so the church is always going to be filled with people and frustrations and things like that. Thank goodness for Christ, right? That, that's what Christianity is all about. So we're exploring this um, topic today about how to proactively engage fellow believers, especially when I want to get my way. And this idea, this concept of, is there something more important than getting my way? Now, you may think on the outset, well, that's kind of a silly question because, of course, there's a lot of things more important than getting our way. And we would never say anything like that. Well, yeah, there's all sorts of things more important. The mission, the message, um, people's feelings, things like that. Of course, they're more important. But while we may never say uh, contrary to that, sometimes we feel contrary to that. Right? There's no, there's no secret that churches have split over little things. It's an ongoing joke in churches that churches split over the color of the carpet. Right. So, so while we may never say things like that, sometimes we do 
represent those types of feelings, that, that there is nothing more important than getting my way. And so what I want to do today is I want to go through a passage of scripture. It's Romans 12. So you may just be listening on podcasts. So I'll be able to, I'll I'll read all the verses for you. But if you're watching at home on YouTube, then uh, you'll want to turn to Romans 12. And I'm going to go through this. And one reason it's so important and why it's such a key passage is really Romans 12 is one of the three passages in the New Testament that talk about the body of Christ. So you have Romans 12, you have Ephesians 4, and you have 1 Corinthians 12. Each of those talk about the body of Christ. Now, we're not going through the passage on the body of Christ today. Those are in the verses right before what we're going to read today. So the reason I point that out is just the relevance of this. The relevance of this whole passage is to the body of Christ. And so that's, again, who I'm talking to today and who I talk to often because uh, this is faith in real life. So I want to talk to people of faith and, and just see how Scripture really applies to their life and how they can walk this walk of faith. And today it's it's talking about how can I get along with people at church when I have a difference of opinion, when they won't listen to me, when when I'm right and they're wrong and, and I'm not getting my way and I'm frustrated and I'm upset um, and things like that. And so I want to look at this passage uh, that really speaks to what should be my approach. Now, we may at the outset have to admit that well, I just may not get my way, right? So that it's not going to be a, a secret recipe to get your way. This isn't a passage on how to manipulate people into agreeing with you. Um, but it is a passage that tells me what should be important, what should I focus on, and really how should Christians relate to one another. So I'm going to just jump into it. In Romans chapter 12, we're going to go through verses 10 through 18. So it's Romans chapter 12, verses 10 through 18. And I could have started earlier. Like I said, this um, this whole passage is about how Christians interoperate and, and benefit one another through their spiritual giftings, stuff like that. Uh, but this is really on how we should treat each other, how we should approach each other, what, what affections, what um, what our interactions should look like. So Romans 12, and I'm just going to read this slowly, one section at it, one little section at a time, because it's jam-packed with principles. And so I, I'm not going to read through it all in one big swath. I'm going to break it down little by little. So Romans chapter 12, the first part of verse 10 says, Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. So it starts out right away talking about love. And of course, um, society and uh, Hollywood and things like that have a very different notion of what love is to look like. Uh, But the Bible has a very clear picture. I'm not going to read 1 Corinthians 13 uh, verses 4 through 7 today, but but read through those on your own and and ask yourself, uh, am I measuring up to these principles? Um, and, And it's not to make you feel guilty. It's to say, here's the principles to pursue. This is what love should look like. Um, but this begins by saying, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. So when I just think of um, how I'm supposed to interoperate in the church, how I'm supposed to interact with people, when this says brothers and sisters or brethren, Adelphos, um, it's saying that Christians are to care about one another. We're to have this sacrificial love, this agape for one another. And so if we were to go over just one chapter in Romans 13, he actually talks again about love and he says, says this, he says, Romans 13, verse 8, Do not owe anyone anything except to love one another. And so I'll just pause there for a second. When we think of not owing anyone anything, there's this picture of the debt that Christians have. And he's saying, hey, don't be a person who's just in debt, except you have one debt. And he says this debt is to love one another. Well, how do I have that debt? 
Well, we know this, that Jesus purchased us, and you could go to 1 Corinthians 6, verses 18 through 20, and you see that he purchased us by his blood. Well, what is his his death, burial, and resurrection? What is that action? It's a demonstration of love. Greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. So he purchased us. He bought us. He redeemed. You hear people say um, in Scripture say talk about us being redeemed. Well, this redemption, this redeeming, this buying back is what Christ did for us, and that was an act of love. So when this says, do not owe anyone anything except to love, he's saying, you do have one debt. Don't owe, don't, don't live a life of debt, but have this one debt, and it's to love one another. But then he says, why? He says in first, uh, chapter 13, verse 8, he says, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So when we think of the intent of the law of the Old Testament, he says, if you, if you love one another, if you love a person, you're going to fulfill the law. Verse 9 says, The commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and any other commandment. So he says, you know, I could keep going, but whatever else is out there, they're summed up by this commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. So, you know, we could honestly just stop this podcast right here. And if I just said, hey, am I supposed to get my way? Is there anything more important than getting my way? And we could very very quickly say, well, love. Love is more important. Like, if I were to think of the hierarchy of things that I'm supposed to approach church with getting my way of course is not at the top but you could you could easily say love is in fact on this passage of um this passage of of characteristics that christians are supposed to have love is at the top if i even went back one more verse verse nine he says let love be without hypocrisy so love love headlines this this uh description of the interaction of christians love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. So the principle for this first part is this, if you love your brother and sister, you will treat them right. But then he goes on, he says, depending on your translation, outdo one another in showing honor, or it may say, take the lead in honoring one another. Now, you may hear, um, you may, we've all heard this, uh, show, show someone respect, right? That, that maybe someone's disrespectful to someone else. I had uh, a child just this morning. One of my kids uh, was not, it was this morning or last night, one of my kids wasn't listening to their mom. And uh, so I just kind of stared at him for a second. I was waiting to see. I'm giving him a chance to listen. She's saying something to him. They're not listening. And so I call him over and, and uh, discipline them and say, hey, one of the things that's required of you is to show respect to your mother. That's one of the things being part of this family. You will respect your mom. For one reason alone is there may be a time where your mom's calling for you. Hey, look out. There's a car or that's hot. You need to listen. But also just the flat principle of you will respect your mom in my house. That, that's going to happen. So when I see this take the lead in honoring one another, it's, it's in a sense a call to respect, right? Just having respect to one another. But you notice that the Bible has even higher standards. In this verse, this is verse 10, halfway through, it says, take the lead or outdo one another in honoring each other. Take the lead in honoring one another. So when we think of showing respect, we may say, oh, you should show them respect. No, no, no. For a Christian, you shouldn't just show them respect. You should take the lead in respecting them. You should take the lead in giving them honor, giving the other person honor. So if I'm having a, a dispute at church, if, if 
I know something is right. This is the way we should do it. Yes, I should voice my opinion, but I should take the lead in showing respect. If it's a fight that comes to contention, it shouldn't be because of me. I shouldn't be the one who has disrespected someone else or disrespected uh, church leadership or the church itself. If there's a dispute, I need to take the lead in honoring one another. So people try to take the charge of a lot of things in church, right? I mean, we do. It's an organization like any other. People try to take the charge of a lot of things. I wonder if you've ever seen it as a lofty goal to take the lead in showing respect to other people. Think about that as a goal to take the lead in showing respect to other people. Of all the things that we may want to lead in church, organizations, etc., do you try to take the lead in showing respect to other people? That's a pretty good verse. That's <laughs> a pretty convicting verse. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters outdo one another in showing honor. And then he goes on. He says, do not lack diligence in zeal. Now, I'm not going to break down every word there, but just talking about being zealous... What I don't want you to hear me saying today, or, and I'm not trying to represent Scripture uh, in, in this way, is to say don't care or just sit back and let others do the work. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, we've all heard those statistics out there that uh, like something like 20% of the church does 80% of the work. I don't know if that's true or not, uh, but it does seem sometimes when you're trying to get volunteers, the same people do all the work, and, and, and I'm not trying to... Um, hurt anybody's feelings by saying that I think we all recognize that is true is that some people are just extremely dedicated so don't hear me say don't care don't hear me say sit back and and let others do the work that's not what I'm saying don't hear me say don't have an opinion absolutely have an opinion I want you to be invested in church I want you to care about the health the well-being of of your local church I want you to really care about the body of Christ so this says do not lack diligence and zeal the church needs zealous and involve believers. It needs people who serve, people who lead, people who teach, people who exercise whatever spiritual gifts. Remember me saying that Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4 all have a list of spiritual gifts that say here's all sorts of ways that people um, can add to the body of Christ, that the Holy Spirit has given you unique spiritual gifts. And I don't even think those are the only ones. I think that's Those are good lists, but I don't think we have to see those as exhaustive. God gives people all sorts of gifts, and he says here, do not lack diligence and zeal. Be zealous. Care about your church. Get invested. Be passionate. Absolutely. But do it with guidelines. right? This, This part, verse 11, do not lack diligence and zeal, is not alone. It started off by saying that we need to love one another. We need to outdo one another in showing honor. And then he says, don't lack diligence and zeal. Be zealous, but with guidelines. So then he goes on in verse 11, and he says, be fervent in the spirit. Now the word spirit gets misused a lot of times in in, um, modern church. Sometimes we think of it to mean emotional or, um, you know, the kind of the ethereal. They're, They're a very spiritual type person. Well, in scripture, that's not usually what it means. If you were to look at things like Galatians 5, 13 through 22, um, and I'll just read verse 16 to you. It says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. In scripture, it's not really the overly emotional picture of the spiritual. In scripture, spiritual means holy. It means that you set yourself apart. Listen to this verse again, Galatians 5, 16. 
I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. There's a contrast there, the flesh versus the Spirit. The, the flesh being the, the sinful, the worldly, the condemned, and then the spiritual being the holy, the set apart, the righteous, the eternal. Right? So there's this dichotomy, this, this separating in Scripture of the flesh and the Spirit. And so in verse 11 here, in Romans chapter 12, when it says, Be fervent in the Spirit, if we're to take spirit, which I think we are, to mean holy, set apart, um, walking in the ways of God, he says, be fervent in the spirit. So as I'm thinking, as I interoperate in the body, as I walk as a Christian, especially as I'm interacting with other Christians, then yeah, I need to love. Yeah, I need to outdo other people in honor. Yeah, I need to be zealous for the Lord. But I also need to be fervent in the spirit. I need to care about my spiritual well-being, my, my holiness before God. Now, of course, Christ provides our true holiness, but how, how he sees me and how I walk are sometimes different, right? He sees me through the blood of Christ, but sometimes I don't walk like a child of God. And so that's what this is a cry to. to. It's to be fervent in, in being spiritual, to walking in the Spirit, to living like a born-again Christian. So we can be fervent about a lot of things, Right? When we're thinking about disputes and fights and, uh, man, I could, who knows what all um, issues sometimes churches has. You may have something very specifically in your mind that when you think of church and you think, well, what am I frustrated about with church? You, you don't have to search very far. So, something just pops up in your mind. I think most people are like that because, again, we're filled with people. It's an imperfect organization. It's, it's a God-ordained, a god um, authored organization, but it's filled with people. And so you may get very frustrated, but we can be fervent about a lot of things. And the question is this, are we fervent about walking in the spirit, walking in holiness? I may get passionate because they changed the way they did this or they changed that. And, and I had an opinion and no one consulted me and I'm frustrated and I'm fervent. I care. I am passionate. Bible tells me to be zealous and fervent. In the same verse there, it says both, right? Okay, good. But he says, be zealous for God, be fervent in the Spirit. He, he's talking about his things. Be zealous for him, care about him, care about his things. Be fervent in the Spirit and holiness and walking for him. So when we're thinking about what we're fervent for, be fervent for God, for his things. So verse 11 continues then. It says, serve the Lord. So we often as Christians do things that um, we may pretend they're for God, but sometimes they're for self. If we're actually interested in only serving God, like if that's the thing that actually we're fervent about, that's the thing that we're actually driven to do, I guarantee you this, we will get less upset if our preferences and ideas aren't accepted. I want, I want you to really be honest with yourself for a second. When we think about this, this thought of getting my way in church, which we would never say out loud, but we feel because something happened and I don't agree with it and no one listened to me and I had all these thoughts, I had all these opinions. If I just think I am here to serve the Lord, in this same verse he says, verse 11, do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. Right? So that zealousness, that fervency, all of those things are couched in the idea of serving God. We get passionate. We get worked up about a lot of things. What about just serving God? 
What about just saying, I'm here to serve God. I have ideas, I have opinions, I have thoughts, and I'm going to share those when I get the opportunity, but I'm going to be married to God. I'm not going to be married to an idea. I'm going to care about his church, his work, his things, not all these other stuff. Yeah, I have good ideas, and sometimes I'm right. Sometimes I'm right and other people are wrong, and they didn't do it my way, but hey, God's kingdom marches on, and that's what I care about. Okay, we didn't do that perfect. They didn't do that perfect but I care about God and his things and ultimately his church because it is his church. It's not yours. It's not mine. It's his. So then go on to verse 12. It says rejoice in hope. So here's what I want to just think about as we interoperate uh, with one another. You ever get kind of in a cycle where you just kind of almost relish negativity that maybe, maybe it doesn't necessarily feel good, and yet we stay there and we kind of bask in it. it. We're we're upset about it, but we kind of bask in it and and we talk about the negative things that always come in. And this says rejoice in hope. So are we negative all the time or are we a person that rejoices in hope that that when things like coronavirus, when all these other things going on in our society, when those come up, am I a person who rejoices in hope? That I just, my interaction with people, when people think of me, do they think of me as a person who is just down, discouraged, depressed, or do they think of me as a person who rejoices in hope? And one way to do that, he goes on in this verse, rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction. See, a, a church dispute may not be to the level of affliction, but it sure does try our patience sometimes, doesn't it? If something is going on and, and there's a, a, a thing that we just flat disagree with, patience is the first thing to go out the window, right? It's the first thing that we kick out and we say, um, you know, it didn't go my way. Life seems against me. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rage against the world. I'm going to be angry. I'm going to be upset. I'm going to like last week, call people out on social media. I'm going to do this, that, or whatever. This tells me to be patient in affliction. When things are against me, to be patient, to wait, to wait on God. Are you patient when people don't do what you want or don't treat you the right way? Are you patient? That's what this verse says, verse 12. Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction. And then it finishes this verse by saying, be persistent in prayer. So as you think of interoperating in the body, as you think of engaging other Christians, are you persistent in prayer? Now, if you have something that's going on in church and you really think it should be a certain way, then pray about it. And don't just say, oh, I prayed about that and this is what it should be. No, I'm saying you pray about it in the same way Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know what? There may have been a, hey, never, he says, nevertheless, take this cup from me, Right. Uh, he says, God, I want you to take this cup from me. Nevertheless, your will be done. He says, God, I, God, Father, I, I'd prefer not dying on the cross. If there's another way to do this, let's do it. But he says, nevertheless, let your will be done. When we think of being persistent in prayer, do you persistently um, lift the things that concern you up to God and give them to him? Not say, God, I'm going to talk to you about this because I want this done a certain way, but I'm going to hold on to the results. These are the, these are the results I want. This is how I want it, God. So I'm praying that it goes just this way. I would say to you, okay, pray, God, here's how I'd love to see it, but finish like Jesus did. Nevertheless, your will, not mine, be done. Well, then it goes on, verse 13, it says, share with the saints in their needs. 
So I wonder if, if um, we have so many generous people. Our church has been blessed. Um, even during this coronavirus time where, where people are um, hurting financially, sometimes some people losing businesses, God has just provided for our church, and, and we're always grateful for that. We talk about that as a staff all the time, that we're just grateful for people giving. Um, but this is in, in Scripture, thinking about interoperating with other believers. It says, share with the saints and their needs. And so when I'm thinking about getting my way, right, and I'm trying to think about are there things that are more important, really just being there for the body to share with the saints and their needs. Now, that may not be a financial thing. It may be. And we've had so many people request during this time, hey, are there ways I can help? And, and, and we've been able to plug uh, some people in and, and, and give all sorts of help. Um, but just thinking about that, sharing with saints and their needs, it may be a, a monetary thing. It may be a physical thing. But it may be a time thing. It may be a patience thing. I don't know what the needs of other saints are, but as we as a body interoperate, share with the saints and their needs. Help carry that burden. Help, help do that work. Help, help with the prayer. Are you concerned about the needs of other believers? Are you generous? Are you, uh, uh, or do we avoid zeroing on our needs? That's what we can get to a lot of times. Do I zero in on my needs? When I'm thinking of getting my way, a lot of times it's because I'm just zeroed in on what I want. This says, think about the needs of the saint. Well, then it goes on in verse 13. It says, pursue hospitality. So this word hospitality is an interesting one. I wonder if you know the, the etymology of it. So a lot of people know um, Philadelphia, right? They can think of the, the word for love um, and people say Philadelphia, the brother, uh, the city of brotherly love, right? It's Philo, Adelphos. Um, and so they think of that. Well, this one starts off with Philo, so or Phileo, and I, I always pronounce Greek words. I'm from Missouri. I pronounce Greek words however I want to. Uh, but Phileo, Phileo, and then you have Xenos is the last part of the word, and people are, may feel kind of familiar with that word Xenos. Well, they think of xenophobia. That's a fear of strangers. Um, and so just take that first part off, Xenos. So you have Philo, Xenos. You have care for or love of strangers. So this says in verse 13, I know there's a long description of just this one word, hospitality, but really it means to care for even people who, who you don't know, who are strangers to you. And so this idea of pursuing it, that I'm not just going to think about me in a church, that I'm going to care about who, who is not here. I want you to hear me on that. I'm going to care about who's not here to the extent that I pursue it. So a lot of times I think of what usually causes issues in church, it's when changes come up, right? There's some change out there, and, and I don't like it. That's, that's not how I do church, and that's not how I would like church, and I want it this way or I want it that way. This says pursue hospitality. Again, this is all in the context of the body of Christ. This whole thing, how believers are to interoperate, how we're to, to care for one another, we're to love the saints, we're to outdo one another in honor, and so on and so on and so on. Well, one of these things it says is pursue hospitality. Pursue a care of people who are not here, people who you don't know, people who are not like you. And so if there is a dispute in church, um, be it over the carpet color, the um, whatever it may be, there's a lot of different disputes, maybe whatever you have on your mind right now, this says pursue hospitality. Think about the people who are not here. 
Let that be one of the things that comes into your consideration because it is so easy. Yes, I have my preferences of church too. There are things I want. I want church a certain way. I want, to, I want it to look a certain way, feel a certain way, be a certain way. I want to hear certain things. That's what church looks like to me. But this says pursue hospitality. In other words, that says it's not all about me. If, I, if I'm worried about getting my way, I need to remember church is not about me. Well, then he goes on, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Now, we can relate to this one, right? <laughs> maybe, maybe out in the world we think, oh, Christians are being persecuted sometimes, and not often in America uh, an overt persecution, but sometimes we may feel that. But what about in church? Do we ever feel persecuted in church? Do you ever feel personally attacked in church? And what is my response? My response could sometimes be to persecute back, to slander back, to say things back, to fight back, to get my way. I want to get my way. These things have happened to me, and I'm upset about these things. I want to get my way. This says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Bless and do not curse. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. What a different approach. As I think of how I'm supposed to interoperate in the body and if there's anything more important than me getting my way, even though I'd never say I want to get my way and there's nothing more important, sometimes I feel that way. And we could go no farther than this verse, verse 14, Romans 12, 14. If I'm persecuted, do I curse? And I'm not talking just about cuss words, although don't do that either. But do I talk bad about people? Do I gripe about people? Do I... Do I talk behind their back? Do I sow seeds of discord? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Man, that's a, that's a call to Christians to watch what we say, how we talk about people, how we talk to people. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. And then he says in verse 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Now, I'm kind of putting these two together, even though they're opposite thoughts, uh, but rejoice with those who rejoice. Something happens with humanity when we sometimes see someone else who's successful or something happens, and instead of rejoicing, we get jealous, right? Maybe a dispute in church or a dispute with a fellow believer, it happens because they Maybe they did something that you wish you could have done or they have a situation you could have had or they got their way and you didn't get their way. This says rejoice with those who rejoice. Being happy for other people. And then the other side, weep for those who weep. Do I have compassion for other people? Maybe I did get my way once and someone else didn't and, and it was frustrating for them. Do I have compassion? How I approach a dispute. Do I have compassion for that person? Maybe we haven't decided who gets their way yet and... And I just am in full-out attack instead of empathizing, having compassion for that other person. So then, starting to get toward the end, we're only going to verse 18. He says in verse 16, Live in harmony with one another. He says, Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. So those are pretty clear thoughts, right? Living in harmony, um, not being proud, being humble. We could see how those two concepts alone would clear up a lot of issues and disputes and in the church and if I want my way well is it harmonious I, I always point people to this when I talk about the harmony or unity of the church in in John 17 you see um, uh, really the last lengthy prayer of Jesus and that's recorded in scripture and he could have prayed for all sorts of things but one thing he prayed for in verses 20 and 21 he says I pray not only for these talking about the people who already followed him 
but also for those who would believe in me through their word. So I pray for future Christians who will believe through these other Christians who are already following me. He says, verse 21, what, what, does he pray for, what does he pray for these future Christians? He says, may they all be as one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. Jesus prayed for unity. So here's what I want to ask you. Is unity, is harmony, are those things a priority for you as you engage other Christians? As we think of making decisions for church, um, just coming together and worshiping and maybe not always having things exactly how we want, do we care about harmony? It is so important that Jesus Christ, before he went to the cross, prayed for this. He says, may they all be as one. And how? What's the example? He says, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. Jesus prayed for unity. Don't be proud. The next uh, part says, don't be proud instead of associate with the humble. The last part of verse 16, don't be wise in your own estimation. Boy, that, that would help with some disputes, wouldn't it? If, if, uh, you know, if everybody just realized how smart I am, then they'd always do it my way. This says, don't be wise in your own estimation. Have humility. Don't be proud. Approach disputes in that way. Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Verse 17, uh, the second part of it says, give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. Think about those two parts of that verse. Don't repay evil for evil and do what's honorable in everyone's eyes. Now, when we say everyone's eyes, what about the people I'm disputing with? I want to be honorable in front of them, right? When we're having a dispute, would the other person be able to say, Obi did what's honorable, or insert your name, you did what was honorable. We disagreed, but you were honorable. You were respectable. It kind of goes back to the very first part in verse 10, or the second part of verse 10, outdo one another in showing honor. And then I'll finish with this verse, verse 18. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So when we ask this question, is there something more important than getting my way? And I may not say it, but that may be how I feel. Is there something more important than me getting my way? I may, I may cuss at a person. I may get angry. I may leave the church. I may rant on social media. There's all sorts of things. I may talk behind their back. There's all sorts of things that I may do because I feel like me getting my way is more important than all these different things in this verse. So is there something more important than getting my way? The answer is, of course, oh yes, there certainly is. And I'll finish with this. John 15, 34, verse, uh, John 15, verse 34 and 35 says, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I want you to hear that. Jesus says the banner of Christianity is love. The thing that is supposed to make us distinct from the rest of the world is love. If, if I'm having a dispute with other people, can they still say, I see love in them. I see the love of Christ in them. When I'm fighting with someone, when I disagree with something at church, when there's something frustrating going on, when I'm not getting my way, when I don't feel listened to, when all these things are happening, am I still known by love? That's what Jesus says. He says, I give you a new command, love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. How did he love me? He died for me. Right? It doesn't get more, much more sacrificial than that. Because you may say, well, I didn't get my way. Okay, sacrifice. Like if it's between your way and love, love's more important. If it's between your way and unity, unity is more important. 
I want you to hear these principles. He's in Romans 12, 10, it says to, to love people, to honor them, to walk in the spirit, to serve, to rejoice in hope, to be patient in affliction, to pray, to share, to be hospitable, to bless, to rejoice, to weep with those who weep. And there's a lot of instruction here. Is there anything more important than getting my way? Oh, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of things more important than me, Obi, getting my way than you who's listening or watching getting your way. And one of those is to be a representative of the love of Christ in this world. Well, thank you for watching or listening. And just remind you, if you're in the O'Fallon, Illinois area, we'd love for you to stop by and visit our church. Uh, We have two awesome services each week, and we have small groups that we call life groups. Um, and if you're in a vulnerable category at this point in time, and or maybe you're just not comfortable coming back to church, uh, then we also have our, our services live streamed. Uh, you can watch them online, and we have lots of online life groups. So you can find out all the details about things happening in our church and offerings we have through social media and at fbcofallon.org. That's fbcofallon.org. We'll see you next time. Hey!